Well, good morning. It's my great privilege to be here this morning before you and continue our series, our Advent series, on the songs of the Nativity. Over these last uh, three weeks or so, we've looked at the song of Mary. We've looked at the song of Zechariah. We saw the song of the angels. And today, as, as Connor just read for us, we're going to look at the song of Simeon. Now, it might be a little strange that we're continuing our Advent series here after Christmas. Advent is typically December 1 through December 25. Today's the 26th, so isn't Advent over? We should move on to something else, I, I guess. But the word Advent in Latin means coming. And as we'll see, and as we've just read, Simeon was looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Our Advent season is preparing for and looking forward to what culminated on Christmas morning, the coming of Jesus. And yet that Advent, that looking forward to the coming, is something that continues even after Christmas. It can happen on the 26th. And it's actually appropriate that we're having this story about Simeon after Jesus is born, because Simeon's experience took place after Jesus was born. His expectation of the coming of the Messiah took place after Jesus was, was born. And I don't know about you, uh, whether you have an Advent tradition at your home. When you grew up, did you do something with an Advent calendar? Do you have some type of Advent tradition? We had one at our house. It's, it's represented in this binder. And I, I realized as I pulled this out, uh, this binder is over 25 years old because uh, this is something we did with our kids uh, during Advent. And they're now they're grown adults. Uh, Melanie uh, put this together and wrote a lot of what's in here every day, uh, devotional uh, tied with a specific scripture that uh, looks forward to the coming of Jesus. And we would look forward through these 25 days. We'd talk about uh, Jesus as being eternal with the Father. We talk about Jesus as prophesied by the prophets. We talk about Jesus being born to a Virgin Mary. We talk about Jesus being sent to save sinners, that Jesus would come again, and that Jesus on Christmas Day was the gift to the world. And so each day, as we do one of these uh, uh, Advent devotionals, these Advent lessons, and, you know, when they were young, uh, we skipped a lot of it and just tried to keep to the main points. And as they got older, we could get a little more into the Scripture and, and talk a little bit more in depth and ask and answer questions. And each of the, each of the lessons came with an ornament. And so we had a little three-foot Advent tree lit up with our little Christmas lights, and every day with the story came an ornament that symbolizes the main message or truth to that particular day. So, you know, we started with the fact that what we know about Jesus comes from the Bible, and we had a tiny little Bible ornament that went on the tree, and then we would be reminded, oh, what we're going to learn about Jesus and the coming of Jesus comes from the Bible. One of those lessons was about Jesus being prophesied by Isaiah. And we use the passage that Rob spoke from on Thursday night, Isaiah 9, verses 
verse 6, that a son would be born, that the government would be on his shoulders, that his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And so one of the boys would get the privilege that day of finding the box, box number eight for Advent Day 8, and putting on this dove onto our Christmas tree. And we'd say, Jesus was the Prince of Peace. Of course, as they got older, we could get further into, he was a wonderful counselor. He was mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And so this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus as the Prince of Peace. We're going to see that Simeon recognized that he could have peace, that he could depart with peace because he was holding the Prince of Peace. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much this morning that we can open your word that your truth speaks to us. And Lord, we just pray that that will happen this morning. Uh, peace can be elusive. It's a difficult thing to come by in this world. And so, Father, we turn to your word for understanding and truth about your peace. And Father, I just pray that you would speak through me. May truth be spoken. May your word be heard this morning. And I pray for each person here that their hearts would be receptive to what you have to say through your scripture that you so graciously have given us. May we be blessed like Simeon was through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So let's, uh, let's get started uh, with the text. Connor read to us. I, I want to back up a little bit. So if you have your Bibles uh, with you, look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to start not at verse 25, which uh, Connor read for us, but we're going to start at verse 22 because I want to provide a little background. So we'll look at a little background here. We'll then talk about Simeon, learn who is this guy and why are we talking about him? What, what was he all about? And then we'll dig into the main point of our message this morning about peace. So we start in verse 22 and it says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we see here in verse 22 that they, they brought him. Well, who are they and who's him? They are Mary and Joseph. So Mary and Joseph brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem. And specifically, they brought him to the temple. Uh, a few weeks ago, when I was speaking to you from Mark, we talked about the widow's offering. And I described to you the temple complex, the outer courts with all the vendors and the animals, the temple court itself with the court of women, where the offering boxes were, and they were going to be paying a ransom uh, that we'll talk about in the court of women. So they're coming up specifically to the temple, up to the temple. And there are two things that are happening here. We see in uh, verse 23, well, in verse 22, they brought him up to Jerusalem to do what? To present him to the Lord. 
and as I just mentioned, to pay a five shekel ransom for firstborn. Now, where does that come from? Well, when God established the Passover in Exodus chapter 13, he, Moses said, consecrate to me all the firstborn. And you'll remember that death came to the firstborn except for blood that covered the doorway, right? And the firstborn were to be consecrated. Every firstborn was to be devoted to the Lord. We see this played out in the Old Testament with the example of Hannah, who had a son named Samuel, and she dedicated him to the temple and to its service. She gave her son over to the high priest, that he would work for him, that he was devoted to him, and ultimately devoted to the Lord and to his service. But that was really uncommon. You know, if every firstborn child, if, if the parents of every firstborn child did that and gave their children, uh, it, just, it just didn't happen. In fact, the Old Testament provided a way out so that you didn't have to give your children over, and that's found in Numbers chapter 18. In Numbers 18, it says, The firstborn you shall redeem, and their redemption price will be five shekels of silver. So if you had a firstborn child, you had to pay a five shekel ransom. And you had to go to the temple, to those offering boxes that we talked about, and drop your five shekels in as a ransom price, as a redemption price for dedication to your child. And so Mary and Joseph, we see they're honoring the Lord. They are obeying the commands of Moses, and they are going up to Jerusalem to pay their ransom price and present Jesus in the temple. The second thing that we see here happening is in verse 24, and they also go up to offer a sacrifice because as we saw at the very beginning here in verse 22, it was the time for their purification. So what's that all about? Well, if you had a male child as a woman, you could not go into the temple for 40 days. You were unclean and were not allowed in the temple for 40 days. After 40 days, you were required to go to the temple to offer a sacrifice, two sacrifices actually, a burnt sacrifice and a sacrifice for sin. And you could offer a lamb if you had the money for it. If you didn't have the money for a lamb, you could offer two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And the Lord gave you a choice of turtle doves or pigeons because turtle doves migrate and weren't available all year long. But those pigeons, they were always around. And so you could always find pigeons or turtle doves. And if you couldn't afford that, there was even a further down, lower cost uh, flour or grain sacrifice that you could make. So that tells us something about Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph. They weren't rich enough to afford a lamb for their sin sacrifice, and they weren't so poor that they had to go to the flour or wheat sacrifice. They could offer two turtle doves or two pigeons, which is exactly what they're going to do. And we now know that this story takes place 40 days after Jesus is born because the time for purification and the time for that sacrifice was 40 days after the birth of a male child. The timing is actually different. There was still a, a time for purification for female-born uh, children, but it was longer. It was 80-some days. I don't know why, but that's what the Old Testament prescribed. 
So Jesus and Mary go up to the temple complex. They go to the outer court. They buy their animals. They probably got swindled like a lot of people did by the vendors out there charging absorbent prices for those animals. They then go into the court of women. They pay their ransom and they hand their sacrifice over to the priests because they could no, go no further than the court of women with Mary and Joseph. Joseph could take another step in towards the altar, but could not go in to offer that sacrifice that was done on their behalf by the priests. And so this is where we meet Simeon in this temple complex, 40 days after Jesus was born. And now we get to the text of this morning, starting in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. So we don't know a lot about Simeon. In fact, what we know about Simeon is found in these verses that we've read this morning. We don't read about Simeon in Matthew. We don't read about Simeon in Mark or John, or anywhere else in the New Testament. So what we know about Simeon is right here in front of us. And so what can we learn from these three verses that we just looked at? Well, actually quite a bit. I mean, we know that Simeon was in Jerusalem. We don't know if he was born in Jerusalem, if he lived in Jerusalem, but he was in Jerusalem. We know that this man's name was Simeon. And actually, Simeon's a fairly common name. You might remember that uh, Jacob had 12 sons. They were the names of the 12 tribes, one of those was Simeon. So this was a fairly common name. There were Simeons before, and I'm sure Simeons after this particular Simeon that we're reading about. What we also see here is that he was righteous. He was devoted. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, that the Holy Spirit was on him that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And lastly, that he came in the spirit to the temple. We could actually just do a whole sermon this morning on those six points. I mean, there's, there's a lot that we could unpack right there about Simeon and who he was. But let, we're not going to do that. Uh, let's, let's go quickly on a few of these. Simeon was righteous. Simeon how are, you, how are you made righteous? Well, you're justified. Being justified, you are declared righteous. How? By what Jesus would do in bearing your sins on the cross. So it says that Simeon was righteous. He believed in the coming Messiah, and his faith saved him. He was a believer, and he was a devout believer, it says. He was devout. He was committed and devoted you know, there was a lot of hypocrisy going on. We've, we've seen that over and over in our study through Mark. Yet Simeon was a faithful and devoted follower. And then it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, what does that mean? The consolation of Israel refers to the coming Messiah. To console is to alleviate pain or grief to take away some sense of loss or trouble. And so the Messiah, the consolation of Israel, 
was to remove sorrow, to comfort the nation. Isaiah 40 talks about this. Isaiah 40 verses 1 and 2 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. You see, Simeon and generations before him were looking for the consolation of Israel. They were looking for comfort. Throughout their history, the Israelite people had suffered. They had been enslaved by the Egyptians. They had been in exile. They were currently under Roman rule. They wanted comfort and consolation. As an aside, during this holiday season, Handel's Messiah is uh, you know, one of the beautiful Christmas uh, anthems that's ever been written. And the very first song sung in Handel's Messiah is Comfort Ye, Comfort Ye My People. The very thought of a coming Messiah was around consolation and comfort. That's the start of the thought of Jesus coming. And so God had revealed to Simeon that he wasn't going to see death until that Messiah came, until the consolation of Israel, the comforter of Israel came. And of course, many people had a very shallow and false understanding of what that meant, that comfort and consolation. They were looking for a national comfort, a political comfort, a comfort that came from uh, a ruler or leader. They were failing to realize that the fulfillment was coming in a much bigger and better way, comfort from your sin, comfort from the grief of sin and separation from God. That's the consolation that Jesus was coming to bring. And Simeon, a righteous and devout man, knew that. And he was overjoyed in seeing the consolation of Israel, Jesus, and to hold him in his arms. And he came out in song, blessing the Lord. Now, we, we don't know how they met. We, we've talked about this, the temple complex and how big it was. And, and there could have been thousands of people you know, bringing their sacrifices, other parents dedicating and, and bringing their firstborn child, people paying their tithes, paying their ransom uh, 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 offering, giving other offerings to the temple. Lots of activity took place on this peak of Jerusalem that oversaw the city. And I don't think that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were wearing name tags or carrying a sign, you know, this is Jesus, comforter and consolation of Israel, right? So how did they meet? It doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell us how they came together or even how their conversation started. What it does say is that Simeon came in the Spirit to the temple, that the Holy Spirit was upon him, and so the Holy Spirit led this gathering, ensured that these people came together, that Simeon, who the Lord had promised through the Holy Spirit, would not die until he saw Jesus, the Lord's Christ, that through the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, they came together. And when that happened, as I said, Simeon was overcome with joy and he 
bursts out in blessing to the Lord in verse 29. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared in the presence of all people. Listen to this. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon, holding baby Jesus, knew he was the consolation of Israel, that he was bringing salvation, spiritual salvation, and not just to Israel, but light for revelation to the Gentiles. This was a very foreign concept. This was taking place in the inner court of the temple that the Gentiles could not enter into for penalty of death. And yet Simeon, speaking through the Holy Spirit, proclaims the gospel. Boy, there's so much we could unpack in these verses, but I really want to focus on one word, peace. We talk about peace at Christmas. Peace is elusive, and yet we see here peace, that Simeon is able to depart in peace, and that's my goal for us this morning. Not that you would just depart from here this morning in peace, but that like Simeon, you can depart this world, this life, in peace because of what the Bible says about peace. So let's dig in on, on peace and let's understand what is peace. Well, when you think about peace, you often think of the antonym, the opposite. You think of war and conflict. And so peace is often thought in the antonym, meaning you think the opposite. Oh, Peace is not being in conflict, not being at war. And, and actually, Webster bears that out. Webster's dictionary says peace, he defines peace as a pact or an agreement to end hostilities between those parties who have been at war. Okay, well, how's that been in your experience in your lifetime? People, historians tell us that in the history of the United States, and they'll debate this a little bit between 15 and 17 years in our entire history since our founding, we've been at peace. We're just ending a war that's lasted for 20 years. So some of you in the room have never experienced a time of peace. We've been at war and war and war. So uh, the New York Times said, peace, eh, it's a fable. Uh, some of you who have uh, willful children or defiant teenagers uh, may have also not experienced peace and believe that it is indeed a fable. Uh, it's, it's difficult. In fact, as Webster continues his definition of peace, he says that uh, uh, he describes peace as a state of tranquility or quiet, freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions describes it as harmony. Harmony, that's, that's an important piece here. You know, there are 21 epistles in the New Testament. 17 of them, plus the book of Revelation, start with a greeting of peace. Words somewhat along the lines of grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Most of the New Testament starts that way. We could do a whole series on peace. We could look at the fruit of the Spirit. 
which is love, joy, peace. And boy, what a great combination that is. Love, joy, and peace. There's an interconnection there. Again, whole sermon uh, topic there. We could spend a whole Sunday morning talking about the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' call to be peacemakers. But we're going to focus on this morning our two things. We're going to focus on peace with God and the peace of God. Peace with God and the peace of God. Simeon experienced both, peace with God and the peace of God. But what is peace with God? Well, uh, we're born in sin, right? Uh, We come into this world fighting against God. Uh, We talked, we looked at Genesis chapter 3. From Genesis chapter 3, we started rebellion against God. Romans 5.10 tells us we are enemies with God. Yet, we fight against God, and then when you receive Jesus Christ, we cease being enemies of God. We're at peace with Him. And I'm going to read this to you so I don't uh, mess this up. Jesus wrote the peace treaty with His blood. That treaty, that bond, that covenant of peace declares the objective fact that we're now at peace with God. So that's what Paul meant in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, where he says, he calls the good news of salvation the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's the gospel that gives us peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So those who trust in Christ, those who are redeemed, who were once enemies, who were once at war in conflict with God, now have peace with God. And Colossians 1, 20 through 22 says it best. It says, Christ made peace through his blood on the cross. And though you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. So once we were estranged, separated from God, enemies with God, we are now reconciled through the gospel of peace. And so we sing this Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Do you have that peace? Simeon was righteous. He was declared justified, and therefore he had peace with God. Don't depart from here this morning without peace with God. The peace that comes from the gospel the peace that comes from salvation alone. The Bible also talks about peace of God. And we cannot have the peace of God without first experience peace with God. Philippians 4.7 says, The peace of God surpasses all comprehension, 
and it shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, I thought about just stopping there because if it's beyond comprehension and beyond understanding, what am I doing up here trying to explain it, right? And so, you know, thinking about that a little further, I realized, all right, the, the peace of God is beyond anything we can imagine. That's the comprehension that it's talking about. It's not that it's unobtainable, that we shouldn't be spending time pursuing it, thinking about it, learning about it, but it is so incredible, it's beyond our comprehension, it's beyond our understanding. So the peace of God is not about the world. It's not about our circumstances. It's Paul saying it surpasses comprehension. It's because it doesn't seem reasonable that we should have peace in the midst of a broken world, an evil, sinful world. And we shouldn't have peace in the midst of all that we have to go through. Because there's no promise that, oh, when you have peace with God, that automatically you're going to have the peace of God, that, that all your issues, all your anxieties, all your problems go away. And this is, this is the great mystery. I mean, Simeon lived in a tumultuous time, right? Rome had overtaken the city. There was a king whose name was Herod, who just a short time after he, uh, Simeon meets Jesus would murder every single male child under the age of two. I mean, this was an evil, tyrannical king who was overseeing them. The prophets had gone silent for 400 years. The church was full of hypocrisy and false teaching. It was not a time of peace. And yet Simeon is going to say he can depart in peace because the world's environment didn't define him. His personal circumstances didn't define peace with God. Actually, probably the best example in the Bible about peace with God, the best teaching on peace with God comes from Jesus in the time with his disciples right before he's going to die. The most agonizing and difficult time in Jesus' life, knowing that he was going to be crucified, separated from his father, the death that he was going to bear on the cross was absolutely the most agonizing time in Jesus' earthly life. And yet he said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. He continued uh, later in John saying, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You see, peace can be fleeting because we are burdened with our past, with the things that we've done in the past, the, the mistakes that we've made, and they haunt us. Peace can be elusive in the world that we live in because what we're experiencing right now can be painful and hard. The circumstances in your family, at home, with, with people that you work with can be difficult. Your own health issues may cause you to lose peace or to doubt God's peace. Or you might be anxious for the future. Oh, 
What job am I going to get? Who am I going to marry? What, what's my future hold? Oh, I'm worried about dying or being in pain and suffering, having, getting cancer. There's so many things that can haunt us and take our peace away. And so we have to ask ourselves, where does our peace come from? It's, it's not from our circumstances. It's not from the world around us. It's not from our past, present, or future. God's peace can overcome all of that. And that's exactly where our peace comes from. Our peace, true peace, lasting peace, comes from God. And beautifully, through all persons of the Trinity. God, the Father, is the God of peace. God, the Son, is the Prince of peace. God, the Holy Spirit, is the giver of peace. And so we see God the Father, the God of peace, He establishes peace. He sovereignly set out a plan that we could have peace. God the Son purchased our peace. We read in Colossians 1 verse 20, having made peace by the blood of His cross. Jesus purchased our peace with His blood on the cross. He bought our atonement. And the Holy Spirit is the giver of peace. We, we see that the, a gift of the Holy Spirit is peace. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to take what Jesus has done and to apply it. And so the Father decrees peace. The Son purchases it. The Holy Spirit applies it. The Father decrees it. The Son purchases it. The Holy Spirit applies it. So now the most challenging question how do we obtain peace? This song of Simeon, Nunc Dimittis, which literally means, now let depart. Verse 29, Simeon says, Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace. How can we depart in peace? How can we obtain peace? Well, the peace of the world is unsatisfying. It's unfulfilling. People that pursue it find that it is a fable. In fact, it's a lie. There, there is no peace. There can be no peace. Isaiah says that there is no peace for the wicked, and we live in a wicked and broken world. So without God, you cannot know true peace. There is no peace of God without peace with God. So first and foremost, we have to have peace with God by being saved by God, by accepting Jesus and the peace that he provides through his death on the cross. And then and only then can we begin to think about peace with God or peace of God. Peace with God is absolutely guaranteed upon salvation. The peace of God is a little more elusive. It's a little more challenging. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use scripture to help guide us with uh, our thought process here. This is not a self, self-help lesson. I'm not going to try to tell you that, oh, all you have to do is think happy thoughts and you're going to have peace. This is not a name it and claim it message. But there is an unbelievable gift from God beyond our comprehension that he offers us peace. Colossians 3.15, I think, should be our guiding principle here. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
See, the peace of God is there. It exists. It's not a fable. It's not a lie. It's a promise beyond our comprehension. Jesus says, I give you my peace. But we have a role and responsibility here. We have to allow it to rule in our hearts. We've got to lean on the peace of God. We're not to seek peace. Rather, the plea is to let the Lord's peace work in us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You have peace, now let it rule. And I suspect, like me, at times you let many other things rule your life and your heart besides the peace that God offers us. The peace of Christ is an unending source of strength in the midst of difficulties. But we've got to lean on it. We've got to let it rule our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. How can Paul say that? Because he was leaning on the peace of God. He was letting the peace of God rule his heart. So that when he was in jail in, with the Philippian jailer, he could sing praise to God. He could say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because the peace of God that's beyond our comprehension ruled his heart. And he didn't allow his circumstances to overwhelm him and to become despaired and anxious and worried and fearful. You know, uh, we talked about Jesus preach, teaching to the disciples that he gives them his peace. Within hours of Jesus saying that to Peter and the disciples, in fear, Peter denied the Lord three times. So this is not easy, right? I mean, here's somebody who heard the words of the Lord directly about peace and within hours allowed his circumstances to trouble him. He allowed fear to creep in and denied the Lord. If Peter fell so quickly, so can we. But we have to lean on the Lord to let uh, hope and peace rule our hearts. You know, we, we live in a broken world. It's full of broken people. We're always going to face problems and trials. We're always going to make mistakes, and our lives are not going to reflect what we want it to reflect as Christians. Our society just bombards us with this message as well, right? That uh, you, you need to focus on yourself and uh, look for self-help and uh, focus on your own needs and problems. No, our minds need to be focused on Christ. And, and I, I don't mean this to be trivial or trite, but you know, if, we, if we can just focus our attention on the Lord, if we can look to His Word, be taught by His Holy Spirit, and just allow ourselves to be fixed on Jesus, we'll find peace. We need to pursue that peace. Simeon did. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was on him, and he had peace because it came from the Lord. In the midst of the maelstrom that he was uh, living in, in, Jer in Jerusalem at the time, 
he found peace in the Messiah. You know, a condition of peace is a stillness. Uh, when, when Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee and the storm came up, what did he say? Peace, be still. We at times just need to focus and fix ourselves on Jesus, on what he's done for us, to be still and know that I am God. And when we do that, he will give you the gift of peace. And let me leave you with a benediction from 2 Thessalonians. The benediction at the end of 2 Thessalonians says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this message of hope this message of peace. Lord, you are the author of peace. You established, Father, the plan for peace. Jesus, you purchased peace with your blood. And Holy Spirit, you apply that peace to our lives. And Father, I just thank you so much for the peace that we can have with you through salvation. Thank you that you sent your Son as we celebrate that birth. At the same time, we realize the purpose for that birth was to grant us salvation through Jesus' blood, that we might have peace with you. We thank you for that. We thank you that we can have peace with you because you provide us with a peace beyond comprehension, a peace that comes by us fixing ourselves on you and letting your peace rule our hearts. And Father, I just pray that for each and every person here. Allow us to overcome the world through the peace that you offer us in Jesus. Thank you for our wonderful Savior, for this Advent season, for the coming of Jesus. And Father, we look so forward to your coming again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.